The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. Well, we are going to talk today about a spirit-filled life. Now, last week, Ed gave you the conclusion. This morning, he gave you the scripture reading. I don't know what's up with Ed, but, you know, I love him. And I love what he shared with us today. I want to read for you again from uh, the New International Version of God's Word, the text that we're looking at. This is Ephesians 5.15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to botchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. O Lord God, please speak to us from your word By your Holy Spirit, make it real to us. Help us not only to know it, but to love it and to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. So it seems to me, as he has been going through this practical section since we started chapter 4, somebody told me today this is our 20th message in Ephesians. Man, seems like a long journey, right? But we got into the practical chapters in 4 and 5 and 6, And he's talked a lot about living, and he talked about how we are to uh, live uh, worthy of the calling we receive. We're to mimic the life of God in our lives. And right at the heart of this passage is the key. I mean, if I could only preach one sermon on however to do this, it would be this message. Because this is the verse, right at verse 18, chapter 5. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is a clear, central part of this paragraph. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Obviously, believers in Ephesus were having trouble with this. I mean, obviously. And understandably so. It was a society that promoted intoxication along with immorality. We've seen this before in this text. And these people were struggling with this. And perhaps some of them had, had really had deep battles with it. And, uh, of course, Solomon, he, he just tells us clearly what it's like because drunkenness is a sin, he says, uh, Solomon says in Psalm 20, or Proverbs 23, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, and when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights. Your mind will imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. 
When will I wake up so I can find another drink? I mean, Solomon's very clear. He also obviously had experienced some of this. And so there's a great contrast. There's one similarity between being drunk on wine and being filled with the Spirit. Who's in control? Right? When you're a, in, drunk, intoxicated, the wine is in control. That's what's so tragic about it. But when you're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit is in control. And that's what's so thrilling about it. So it's, it's stated in contrast, but that is the one similarity. Filling with or by the Holy Spirit is contrasted to getting drunk on wine. But that similarity is the matter of control. So, let's look at this a little more carefully. Being filled is a command. And it's a command in the plural for everyone. This is a command. This isn't just for the super spiritual. This is for everybody. Every believer who is indwelt by the Spirit has the potential daily to be filled with the Spirit. And we're commanded to seek the filling of the Spirit. Now what's very interesting is, it's in the passive voice. What that means is, you can't fill yourself. You can't go to your buddy and say, hey, fill me up. You know, It's not something we do, it's something God does. It's a divine passive. God's the one who does the filling, but we need to seek it. Does that make sense? I mean, that, that's what he's saying. Be filled, but God will do it. And it's present tense, which means it's daily. It's ongoing. It's not a once for all time. Oh, no, no. Again and again and again and again. And that's the way it's portrayed even in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Now, the meaning of being filled is kind of interesting. Like, for instance, when the wind blows into a sail, the sail is full and then drives the ship, right? When, when someone is full of good works, like Dorcas in Acts, she was full of good works. Works were present. When Jesus did the miracles and they had baskets full left over, right? It was full of loaves and fishes. You see, these are all illustrations of how it is used. So let me say this. Filling with the Holy Spirit involves experiencing his presence and expressing his power. Experiencing his presence, like we just sang about, and then expressing his power. There are 11 examples, specifically in Luke and Acts, of people who were full or filled with the Spirit. And it comes and it goes. Okay, that, that's what's interesting about it. He indwells us once for all, right? He's in us. But our experience of his presence and his power is, is, comes and goes, and that's why we need to keep seeking it. And it's so key to fulfilling everything else in the Christian life. Now, for instance, John the Baptist was full of the Holy Spirit from birth. John the Baptist was a prenatal charismatic. That is amazing. And you'll remember that when his mother walked into the room and then Mary walked into the room with Jesus in her womb, he jumped, right? And you'll remember Elizabeth says, oh, he just jumped. He recognized the Messiah had just come in. This is amazing, right? Jesus was filled with the Spirit and then led into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. So just because the Spirit's filling doesn't mean life's going to be easy. 
That's not, that's not a way to measure it. In Acts chapter 2, they were full of the Holy Spirit and started speaking in the languages of the people there, and people heard the gospel in their own language, and my, there was this incredible revival, right? Pentecost Sunday. But I do not believe that ecstatic speaking in tongues is the only measure of the filling of the Spirit. To me, the filling of the Spirit is obeying Him. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's very hard. Sometimes i got to make a tough decision. But being filled with the Spirit, I will follow him. I will do what he calls me to do. And, and see, the obedience then is really the evidence. And the Holy Spirit came to indwell. And this is what Jesus taught us. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit was sent by the Father and the Son to bring glory to Jesus. He puts the spotlight on Jesus Christ, not himself. He is equally God with the Father and the Son, but he wants to exalt Jesus. See? So he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Now, that's a great introduction. My, my, we could say we'll go home, but we're not going to because we're going to look at the rest of the verses, right? How does Paul portray a spirit-filled life in verses 15 to 21? Well, intentional investment of your time, jubilant expression of your faith, personal sacrifice for your neighbor. It's a rather interesting list. It begins with the intentional investment of your time. Survey your time. He says in verse 15, be very careful then, then links back to what he, we looked at last week about being children of light and those things, waking up. Be very careful then how you live or walk, not as unwise, but as wise. There's a command. Be very careful. Look into it. Keep your eyes open. Be alert. It actually is the verb to see how you walk how you live. Now, he's told us before how not to walk, and he's told us before how to walk. So this isn't news. He's just saying it once again, and good teachers do that. Now, he adds an adverb, carefully. Carefully. It suggests accuracy and pre precision. When Luke sat down to write his gospel, being a Gentile, he went and interviewed all these people who knew Jesus. I think it's pretty obvious he interviewed Mary because how else could he tell all the details about the birth of Jesus without having interviewed Mary? And he interviewed other people. And then he sits down and he says, I'm going to give you an accurate report. That's what he says in verse 3 of chapter 1 of his letter. And you see, that's the same word that's used here. We want an accurate survey of our time, of our lives. And we're looking for wisdom. Because we don't want to live as those who are unwise. We want to live as those who are wise. And wisdom itself is a gift of God's grace. And let's be really honest about it. Most of the time, you know the wise thing to do. If, if, if you just keep that in mind when you're faced with a decision in life, let me just do the wise thing. Most of the time, you know what's wise. 
you know it's not wise to play marbles in the middle of the highway. That's not a wise thing to do, right? But, but you know more specifically, often, with your knowledge of Scripture, with the leading of the Holy Spirit, as he has filled you, you kind of know what is wise. So I challenge you. Would you be willing to keep a record of your time? Would, I, would you actually sit down and keep a record of your time for a week or so and then evaluate it? Wow. All right, let's get away from that. Schedule your time. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity. Literally, redeem your seasons of opportunity. Redeem them. You can't buy back time, but make the most of them. Why? Because the days are evil. And Ed just did such a great job of preaching that, didn't he? There's so much evil around. There's so many distractions. There's so many things that can get me off course and, and, and ruin the intentional investment of my time for the glory of God. And so I, I need to be aware of this. There are many things that can take us off course. Sometimes we take ourselves off course. Again, in the book of Proverbs, you got this character named Sluggard. And, and he just makes excuses all the time. And he lays in his bed and he's on a bed like a hinge of a door. He just rolls over. A little more sleep, a little more slumber. And then it says, disaster just comes upon him. So we want to understand what it is and schedule our time. And then finally, he says, submit your time. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be foolish. Do not be foolish. Do not become foolish, but comprehend the will of God because he's your master. Grasp it with your mind and submit your will to it. That really is the picture. And, and what a blessing this is. What a blessing this is. Because um, this is a great quote. C.T. Studd was a, a great uh, cricket player, actually, before he became a missionary. And he once said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Chuck Smith heard those words, read those words. It changed his life. If you've seen the movie Jesus Revolution and those things, you know what God did through Chuck Smith in Southern California and, and all across the world because he took seriously submitting his time. We can, our life can count for eternity. What's done for Christ will last. And see, that, that's, that's, the, that's the key. That's the blessing. Nothing is more satisfying because, because that's what we want. We want enjoyment. We want joy in life. And nothing's more satisfying than doing the will of God. What pleases him? I mean, it's very obvious. And, and he has filled us with his spirit to guide us. Jesus said it this way. I've loved you even as I've loved the Father. Love me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. What was Jesus' joy? Doing the will of the Father. And the same is true for you and me. And that's the most fulfilling thing we can ever experience. And it's so much better than living in debauchery. See? I mean, that's really the honest truth, right? And, and it says, you know, it is just such a clear submission of your time. Now, when I was in seminary, I, I worked with a youth group in a place called Crystal Lake, Illinois. 
and I'd come there on Sunday and, and uh, teach Sunday school. And so one Sunday school class, I challenged the kids. I said, why don't you keep a record of your time just for a week? Just sit down, keep a record of your time, and then evaluate it and see if you're really living for the Lord or not. And I figured it went, I figured nobody listened, you know. And so I was a youth pastor up in Wisconsin that summer, and I get a letter from a young boy, a young man. He said, that changed my life. I actually did it. I actually kept a record of my time, and I went back and looked at it. And I said, am I really living for the Lord? He says, it's changed my life. Now, I'll tell you, I'll admit something to you. I've been keeping records of my time almost for my whole ministry career because I'm very conscious that my time needs to be invested wisely, and I want to keep a record of it. And there are sermons that take me 12 hours to produce and sometimes 18 hours and sometimes less. I mean, there's all kinds of different things that I do. I actually do work more than one day a week. And, and, and it, it's a blessing for me to look at that and pray over it and just offer it to God. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do. I'm encouraging you to think about your schedule for the day and submit it to the Lord and say, Lord, you fill me by your spirit, lead me. I submit this day to you. I want to intentionally invest my time for your glory. All right, that's enough. Let's move on. Jubilant expression of your faith. Ways and means are clearly stated in verse 19. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. That's very obvious. The ways are the verbs. And he uses three of them. Speaking, singing, and making music from your heart. It actually means literally playing the harp in your heart. Uh, and then there are different means. There are different types of music. Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. How about that? Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. The projector liked that. Um, and they're different, right? They're a little different. Psalms are probably the Old Testament psalms that they were singing back to the Lord. And then hymns are songs that were written for the glory of God and to exalt the Lord. And then the spiritual songs are kind of those spontaneous songs, perhaps, that even happened while they were worshiping. My wife always accuses me of making new words to songs. Do you do this? And I do it because I can't remember the real words, so I make my own words up, right? But sometimes, <coughs> and often, when I'm privately just worshiping the Lord, words will come to me, and, and it just, it's just a blessing. So, so that's kind of what we see was happening, because it seems like this is describing the worship service for the early church, the first century. And we actually have a letter that was written by a Roman official by the name of Pliny the Younger, and he wrote it to the emperor Trajan as he evaluated what Christians were doing. And it's rather interesting because he was trying to persuade them to deny Christ, and he couldn't persuade them. And so he attended their meetings, and he noticed that there was some preaching and there was some singing and things. And, and he says that they declared that the sum of their guilt or error had amounted only to this, that on an appointed day they had been accustomed to meet before daybreak and to recite a hymn to Christ as to God and to themselves as to an oath, not for the commission of any crime, but to abstain from theft, robbery, adultery, and breach of faith, and not to deny a deposit when it was claimed. After that conclusion of this ceremony, it was their custom to depart and meet again to take food. 
You knew they were Baptists. And, um, you know, they just wanted food, right? But they were together, and, and all this fellowship only promoted their love for God and made them better citizens. And Flint, he's saying, I can't find anything wrong with this. Hallelujah. You see, that's what it was meant to be like. And, and I noticed here in Colossians, the Colossians passage says the same things about the Word of God in our lives as the Spirit of God says in Ephesians. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ or the Word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That all sounds just like the same thing. So the Word of God and the Spirit of God work together in our worship. They're not in contrast with each other. They work together. Hallelujah. What a blessing this is that God does this. And that's why all of our songs have to be theologically accurate. You can't, you can't sing something to God that's not true. I mean, I tell Ed, we're not going to sing anything I couldn't preach, and, and I won't preach anything we can't sing. Right? I mean, that's the commonality of it, and that's the beauty of what God does. And what does all this promote? Well, it promotes an attitude of gratitude. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That kind of sounds like a verse for the year. Oh, we do have a verse for the year from 1 Thessalonians that says exactly that. Give thanks in all things. I can't always give thanks for the circumstances, but I can always give thanks for the Lord, and I dedicate it all to the glory of Jesus Christ. How powerful and wonderful that is, really, honestly. What an evidence of the filling of the Spirit is that. You know, you think about a Thanksgiving service. How about this? Remember Acts 3 and 4? And here's this guy that had been born lame. He had never walked. He's now 40 years old, and he's there begging, and Peter and John come by, and he's begging, and they go, listen, we don't have any money, silver or gold, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. <laughs> and what happened? He rise up and walk, and he went dancing and singing and praising God. Yeah, 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 you remember that from Sunday school. What a great song. What a great truth. How they were thanking God and giving thanks to God for that great miracle. You can read about it in Acts 3 and 4 today. You should. Because an attitude of gratitude really is an evidence of the filling of the Spirit of God. Jubilant expressions of our faith. And uh, the key is contentment. I mean, we're really content when we're thankful. And Paul said it very clearly. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plan or in one, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Contentment is by the strengthening of God, an evidence of the filling of the Spirit, whether it's worship in private or corporately together, expressing our faith with jubilance, with joy. Yeah, finally, we had to include verse 21, and I'll tell you why. Because in the original text, verses 18 to 21 is one sentence. Now, when we return to this passage, we'll go back to 21 as we talk about how things work in a family with husbands and wives and children and, 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 and work and all those different things. But there's a call to mutual submission. Personal sacrifice for your neighbors. Submit to one another. It's a reciprocal 
command, one another. Submit. In the secular, it meant to put yourself below another, under rank or order. In the New Testament, it's used of citizens to government, slaves to masters, wives to husbands, children to parents, church members to leaders. What's really interesting, and I want you to understand this, this time it's middle voice, which means you choose. You're going to submit or not. But he's calling us to submit. He's saying, you make that choice. Submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. For Christ's glory. That's why I serve another. It's not because I'm less than they are. It's not because they're better than I am. It's because I want to do it for the glory of God. And for that reason, I will submit to others. On Thursday night when we gather to remember the Lord's Supper, we will have out a bowl and a towel. Because on that night, do you remember? Jesus washed his disciples' feet. What an incredible demonstration of sacrificing for another. Have you ever had your feet washed? Have you ever done that? We did it once here in a, in a concert of prayer evening. And I was nervous because even my mother tells me I've had stinky feet from the time I started in this world. And uh, when a brother was washing my feet, I was self-conscious about that. But it's a beautiful demonstration of serving another bowing down, washing their feet. I mean, it's a beautiful picture of that. But there's so many ways that we can submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And, and it's a demonstration of the filling of the Holy Spirit. I wanted to remind you of Stephen. Stephen's name means crowned. He was the first martyr. And you can read his story in Acts 6 and 7. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. He'd been preaching things they didn't want to hear. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, see that? Full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Wait, wait a minute. Why was he standing? Isn't Jesus seated at the right hand of God? Why would he be standing? He's welcoming Stephen home. That's what he's doing. He stood to welcome that first martyr home. That's pretty impressive. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who you know becomes Paul the Apostle later. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. You talk about submitting to another out of reverence for Christ. Asking God to forgive those who were killing him. What an evidence of the filling of the Spirit of God in Stephen's life. It seems to me that the key is fulfillment. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? <laughs> but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It will bring fulfillment to your life. 
It'll bring meaning and purpose to every moment. We serve as he directs. Scott did such a great job of reminding us today that we have many who have come to this area who are foreigners. And we have a a privilege to serve them as we have a privilege to serve others. It just is an evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit of God, just as the jubilant expressions of faith and the intentional investment of our time was. Now, a few years ago, I read something in the Daily Bread that really touched me. So we sum up what we're going to say, and then I'm going to conclude. A Spirit-filled life is one which is lived under the control and guidance by the indwelling Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit lives in every believer. But whether he's in control and you're submitting to his control is a choice that you and I make regularly because it can go up and down. And may God help us to seek it, to seek to be filled with the Spirit, not for ecstatic expressions, but for practical application of God's truth. The Daily Bread. At the close of a stirring musical performance, an audience may cry, Encore! Encore! That's the crowd's way of telling musicians that they like what they've heard and they want to hear more. At the end of the day, after we have finished our work, eaten our meals, responded to all sorts of situations, and related to all types of people, can we imagine Jesus saying, Encore, encore to us? Would he want a repeat performance for tomorrow? This is not to suggest that he expects us to be perfect today and every other day. He understands that we sometimes fall and fail and that we need to work continually on our lives and that we are involved in a process of growth. But would he be pleased by the progress we are making and our dependence on him, our willingness to take risks for his sake, our loyalty to him, and by our desire to be like him? Would he like an encore? At the end of the day of our life's day, when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest words we could ever hear will be these. Well done, my good and faithful servant. His highest praise will go to those who by faith accepted his gift of salvation and continue to depend on him. Jesus is the conductor of our lives. If we follow his lead, the music we produce will receive his encore now, and a well done later. Dear Lord, thank you for reminding us of very important truth today. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to seek the filling by your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, help us to walk in wisdom, not in foolishness. Help us, Lord, to enjoy life, to be fulfilled in life, and to be content in knowing and loving you. We can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. In his great name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.